welcome to episode 40 of the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Today, as always, you're joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack, and thank you so much for tuning in for yet again another question and answer episode. We just want to let you guys know that we greatly appreciate all the support we get on this podcast, and if you enjoy it, please tell your family and tell your friends about it, and if you enjoy it, always feel free to take a screenshot and post it to your Instagram stories, and tag myself, tag Jack, and tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians. And if you're ever interested in any of our coaching or dietetic services, you can always head over to our website, which is linked in the show notes below, or you can just type into your search bar, www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com. So without further ado, we're going to get into the podcast for today, and we haven't really given you guys a life update for a few episodes now, so I'm going to let Jack take the floor and tell everyone what has been up with him. So things have been going very well for me. This is my, we're recording this on a Sunday, so this is my rest day, and I've just included my first week back at training since deloading, and essentially when I... Uh, conduct my first week back I try and leave a few reps in reserve for each of my major movements just so I'm able to prevent a extreme accumulation of fatigue and allows me to progress more steadily throughout my training block and other than that I I posted on my personal page a few days ago just about where I'm sitting at in terms of my body weight and how I'm going with that so I've been so last year when I competed in May I was around 75, 76 kilos on stage. The lowest I got was around 74.5 and I'm weighing around 89 to 90 kilos right now. So a decent amount of weight gain without any sort of dieting or mini cuts in between. It's been pretty steady other than when I had a that injury with my back, which lasted quite a bit of time, about six months where I stayed pretty static with weight gain. So yeah, this year in total, total I've actually gained probably about eight or nine kilos even and yeah you are holding it damn well you look great thank you so are you (laughs) (laughs) uh but anyway i'm not 90 kilograms (laughs) but yeah i guess the dilemma now is whether i keep pushing it and gain a little bit more body weight but obviously increase in strength and accumulate more muscle or do a quick mini cut where i'll probably lose five or six kilos and yeah, I'm at the I'm of the mind now to continue gaining a little bit of weight, maybe until the end of the year, and see how we go from there. Yeah, that'll be great. And then I guess what we'll both be going into. Well, I'll be well deep into my prep and my cut, but you'll be cutting slightly when I'm competing in February and maybe even March. <laughs> Should be interesting. Yeah, we can both. Uh, hopefully, maybe we could even do a photo shoot together. That'd be really fun. <laughs> yeah, you'll be pretty shredded. <laughs> I get yeah, I guess this is at the point where now I'm progressively getting leaner and Jack is progressively getting a little bit well, I'd Not say mean. I'd say a lot bigger. You look great. You know, we're taking monthly skin folds for Jack and his skin folds hardly even budge, which is pretty damn indicative that he is putting on a lot of muscle mass. But you're working so damn hard, you know? Like, oh, it's amazing seeing your body change. Thank you. So how has <laughs> your week gone? Yeah, this past week's been really good, you know, like this has been my first week of prep now and God, it's just flown by guys and it 
honestly, because it just goes by so quickly, the days and the weeks fly by, it makes me just so grateful that I did start 25 weeks out. And yeah, this past week, oh, I've just felt great. And my body, it just seems like it's responded really well because the very beginning of prep, I started off at 68 kilograms. The next day, just from dropping, I dropped my carbs from 400 grams down to 300 grams. And in that first day, my body just had a big whoosh and I lost like 700 grams in weight. I know that's predominantly a bit of glycogen and, you know, just some fluid and stuff. But since then, my body weight has progressively decreased down to 66.8. So within even just the last week, all I've changed is just my caloric intake. I've still been doing my exact same training, my exact same number of steps, exact same, you know, energy output. But uh, luckily, I've been able to drop 1.2 kilograms already, which has been really, really good. So um, yeah, it feels great. And I feel like this is the first time in my life I've probably ever dieted in a very relaxed state and I think that is playing a huge role in it because every time in the past when I've entered a dieting period I've you know my my sleep has been interrupted you know usually by uni or my work schedule and just been highly stressed in my environment generally from uni I can remember you know last time when we did prep on top of a master's degree was just highly stressed but now I'm just happy, I'm relaxed, and yeah, I've really enjoyed this last week of prep, and it's gone really well, and because my body has responded really well to my current macros, there's no need to do a drop, which is really good. So uh, initially, I did set my macros at 300 carb, 40 fat, and 140 protein, but because my carbs are still quite high, I realized that and, you know, I'm getting a lot of those from whole grain sources and like things like potatoes and all that stuff. So the protein from plants really adds up and it's actually almost been difficult to get that like 25, 30 grams of HBV protein through an animal source, like some yogurt or some eggs or some tuna or something. So I've actually slightly increased my protein intake up to 150 grams per day, just while my carbs are still high. But it's, I feel great. And you know, my weights continue to drop. So it's all good. And you know, energy output's still good. And I'm still very enthusiastic and feeling good. And life is good. Yeah. So this past week's just been pretty damn good no hunger at all no i no hangriness no hangriness <laughs> i eat, i eat good food and i'm relaxed and i usually find that you know my hunger usually only comes on when i am um, obviously in a severe caloric deficit which i'm not right now and also when i'm just very highly stressed but jack Do you think you'll ask me that in the future ask you what hangriness if i'm hangry or if you're hangry no you <laughs> am am i hangry jack <laughs> you'll probably tell me if i'm hangry i probably won't have to ask mm. we'll probably be well yeah we'll probably just be like rushing home from the gym and i'll just like jump out of the car and run to the microwave or something like that or maybe i'll actually start preparing my like post-workout meals in advance so i can just come home straight and eat but Let's hope that's not for a while because right now it's still pretty good. <laughs> 24 weeks out. <laughs> yeah, let's see what happens in these next 24 weeks. <laughs> but yeah, all right. So I guess we will get into the questions. So the very first question, I thought this one was really interesting. So this is from Kenya and she says, I'm wondering if you use almond oil to rub on your skin or any types of oils. 
Do they get absorbed into your system and the body thinks that you've consumed it? So as if you've consumed the calories and fats from the oil. This is such an interesting question and I never actually thought about that until she asked it. What what would you what do you think? Well, essentially in order to if you look at the digestive system system inside the body, obviously your you eat the food, it goes into your stomach and then in the intestine, so predominantly in the small intestine is when you'll absorb the nutritional value from the food and it will go into your bloodstream through I think the main process is through enterocytes. And if you think about it through the skin layer, this isn't actually possible. Yeah, and especially for something like fat, because fat and triglycerides are actually such a large molecule that they can't actually be absorbed in straight into the bloodstream from the intestine. They actually have to go into the lymphatic system and they actually have to be, they try to break down the triglycerides into singular fatty acids and they package them into these things called chylomicrons. They're kind of like little bubbles. But anyway, the main thing is, is that I think rubbing oils onto your skin, like they're just too large of a molecule and it certainly won't penetrate past the subcutaneous level of the skin and it will not get into your bloodstream. So you certainly can't use that as, that as calories. Uh, otherwise, you know, that would almost be a very strategic way for people to gain weight. If they mm. were struggling to gain weight, they could literally take olive bathe oil. In, bathe in Gatorade. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Bathe in Gatorade or bathe in olive oil baths or, man, I don't know. <laughs> I, who the flips knows? I don't know. <laughs> so our next question is from Naturally Nina and she asks, what's the most common mistake you see people making with their nutrition? Wow, do we only have to list one? Because I can think of a lot. <laughs> what comes to your mind first? Uh, so I don't want to steal Tierra's idea, so I'll let Tierra go first. No, man, you go first. <laughs> you can't steal my idea. I've got so many ideas. <laughs> okay, so what I think people, and it's not necessarily a mistake, I think it's maybe just a misjudgment or misinformation, is that they always focus on the minute picture as opposed to the bigger picture. So for example, thinking you have to get your protein in as soon as you finish working out or thinking that you have to eat very specific foods in order to achieve specific goals. So rather than looking at something like total protein intake or total energy intake and those sorts of things as well, like they, like is dextrose better than glucose or is like this sort of protein better than this sort of protein is hydrolyzed way better than whey protein concentrate. Just got to look at the bigger picture and understand how things are synchronized together. Yeah, I couldn't agree more or like carbohydrate sources, you know, and I'll, I'll even admit I used to be victim to this. I used to think, oh gosh, you know, maybe I shouldn't eat oats after my workout because oats are slow digesting. Or I even thought that if I did eat oats after my workout, I shouldn't add cinnamon to the oats because I'm like, oh no, that'll slow down the absorption of the of the glucose and the carbohydrates. Like if you are thinking on that level, it's it's too complex. And, you know, after you swallow the food, it's out of your control, you know? So just like Jack said, think about the bigger picture and, you know? As, as bodybuilders as well, we're already very fixated on certain things. Like there's no need to go even more fixated. So like for Tierra and I, like we try and, we try to consume like three to five servings of protein during the day, eat an abundance of fruits and vegetables and whole grains, get an adequate amount of carbohydrates before our training and yeah, get a HBV source of protein whenever we consume it at each meal. 
Yeah, and we're we're always covering our bases, and like you know, we certainly could get down to the nick picky, picky stuff, like the timing of our meals. But we're always consuming our meals within, let's say, like three to five hours of one another, which is totally fine. But we're not going to freak out, you know, one day if we're like, oh, let's have breakfast at 8.30 a.m. instead of 9 a.m. or something like that. Or let's have dinner at 7 p.m. instead of 6.30. Like that's in the grand scheme of things, that's not going to make a difference. So yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And I'd also just say, again, just focusing on the bigger picture. A lot of people don't look at the big ticket items like calories and macronutrient splits for the day. And they'll get like hyper focused on, I have to have my apple cider vinegar shot, you know, every single morning. Or, you know, they have to have their squeeze of lemon in their like infused water or whatever, but they miss the big ticket items and then they wonder why they're not getting results. It's because they're focusing on these really random things that really aren't making that much of a difference. But I think if I had to name one thing that's super common is that people think that they need to exclude whole food groups. So people will think that in order to become healthy, they have to ex- like completely eliminate dairy or completely eliminate bread products or fruit or they can't eat a certain type of vegetable or they have to eat a bunch of one type of vegetable or they can't eat any meat. You see where I'm going with this and there's no reason to think like that, you know, like when you start to follow a healthy dietary approach, there's no reason to absolutely get rid of one thing because it's inherently bad and usually it just comes to asking the person in a very nice way why why don't you think that you can consume that or like why do you think that's bad and it really kind of makes them think about it they're like oh i i i don't know i just like i don't know why i actually can't eat bananas but i can eat apples like it just makes them think and then they kind of understand like Ah, I get it. They're all just carbohydrates. It's all, it's just another type of fruit. Maybe it's actually okay. So yeah, I think that's the biggest thing, probably just excluding whole food groups. Mm, Definitely. And yeah, it certainly is very common and can lead to other forms of disordered eating as well. And yeah, one thing leads to another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But again, we've all fallen victim to it. You know, I think we've all at one point or another been in that mindset of good and bad foods, but you know, it is very freeing to break free from that and realize that, Hey, you can eat whatever the heck you want and it's going to be all right. We're all going to make it. (laughs) We're all going to make it. So we actually have three or four questions on fruit. So we thought we would all cover them together. So the first one's by Ben who asks, how much fruit is too much during a prep diet in terms of carbs? And the next question is by Lawrence who asks, is there a maximum amount of sugar you recommend per day, even if they are from fruit, etc.?" And the final question is by Ben again, who asks, should you eat any fruit and veg on show day? Wow, well, this is a pretty sweet question. So everyone wants to know about fruit and sugar. So essentially, just to cover the bigger picture first before we touch on show day, and it sort of is similar to what Tierra and I just mentioned in that you have to look at the bigger picture. So it's very difficult to give guidelines for everyone, and that's why the Australian Dietary Guidelines are quite general. They're not very specific. If anything, the 
Australian dietary guidelines are actually directed for chronic disease prevention um, rather than like specific populations and that sort of stuff. So you don't see any recommendations for like type 1 diabetes on the Australian dietary guidelines because it's just too specific. And it's interesting because, you know, the Australian dietary guidelines are trying to encourage people to eat more fruit. Yet again, on the, from our listener base, some people are worried they might even be eating too much fruit. Mm. Yes. But the other interesting fact is that if people ate enough vegetables, there wouldn't be any recommendations for fruit. Mm. Yeah, which is which I don't think is a good thing to say because it might scare people into thinking that fruit is bad. Yeah, but, when it's actually amazing. Yeah, and... So I'll talk a bit about fruit and Tierra will talk about sugar and we'll see if they coincide at all. So essentially eating too much fruit would only be possible if you were either contrasted against your goal. So let's say you were dieting and you were eating too much fruit. So it went over your daily energy allowance and stuff like that. The other alternative would be if you're just consuming fruit as a source of carbohydrate and you're getting a deficient diversity in other carbohydrate sources like legumes beans, grains, all those sorts of ones, because diversity is an often overlooked uh, avenue of nutrition. And yeah, we need to be consuming different types like oats, wheat, rice, quinoa, again, beans, legumes, there's multiple different types of those. And the reason why is different types of fiber sources, so soluble, insoluble, resistant starch, they all have an impact on the microbiome. Obviously, a different uh, micronutrient properties as well. Uh, so let's say beans are very high in potassium, and then they, or they lack different micronutrients that oats or wheat might have. So like wheat is very high in the B vitamins. Yeah, and then when we think about sugar, guys, we have to remember that sugar is just an umbrella term, all right? So... When, when we consume carbohydrates, they can be consumed in different kind of chain lengths. So when we're thinking about sugar, those are more monosaccharides and disaccharides. So monosaccharides would be our things like glucose, galactose, and fructose, right? And then a disaccharide, which the most common, the disaccharide in fruit would be sucrose, which is one glucose and one fructose molecule. And then in things like oats and beans, you'd find more polysaccharides and oligosaccharides. So those are longer chains of carbohydrates. And the longer the chain, the harder it's going to be for the body to break down and digest because there's just more uh, bond links there and we just need more enzymes to break those different types of bonds. But if you're consuming something like just sucrose, right? That's just one glucose and one fructose. You just need sucrase, the enzyme, to break that into those two monosaccharides. So yeah, that's the thing about sugar. But remember, in order to be absorbed in the small intestine, we have to break down all of our carbohydrates into monosaccharides anyway, because that's the way that they're absorbed into the body. They need to be those little small molecules. So... Ah, uh, when it comes to sh like fruit, I, I just, I wouldn't be worried about it. Honestly, in most cases, I'd be worried that people aren't consuming enough fruit compared to too much fruit. I'd really only say that it might be an issue if you're consuming way too much fructose, perhaps in two, maybe three situations. So the first situation would be if you are chronically overweight and you are in a high energy surplus and you are consuming a lot of fructose, that can have quite detrimental effects on liver health, which isn't very good. 
So that's one thing. And then also the other thing is that sometimes you can have fructose malabsorption. So what we know each hour is that our intestine is capable of absorbing 60 grams of glucose and 30 grams of fructose per hour. And that's really important for people like endurance runners and stuff who need those quick acting carbohydrates to get into their bloodstream. But if you are consuming a hell of a lot of fructose all at once, you might, you just don't have enough transporters to absorb all of that. So you might, that could possibly lead to diarrhea. And then I would say the final circumstance is exactly what Jack touched on. If you're eating a whole bunch of one thing, it's eliminating your chance to consume, you know, a variety of different carbohydrate sources in your diet without going over your total calorie and carbohydrate budget for the day. And yeah, just to add one more point to what Tierra said, the reason why the Australian dietary guidelines or nutrition bodies don't necessarily recommend sugar is that they're often associated with products that have added sugar like diet sorry not diet coke, like Coca-Cola. <laughs> We'd uh, hope that diet coke isn't putting actual sugar in. Uh, other soft drinks like lollies, chocolate, all those sorts of things, which are just nutritionally devoid. So they don't, obviously they taste great, but they don't really do many favors for us nutritionally. But that doesn't mean that we sh can't eat them. Yeah, but if you're getting your sugar from things like dairy products and a bunch of fruit and even vegetables too, that's perfectly fine because those are nutrient-rich foods. But generally the recommendation from like Australian dietary guidelines and also the American Heart Association is to not have more than six teaspoons of added sugar per day. So that's around 25 grams of added sugars per day. But again, that's just a very, very general guideline. And it would be difficult if you were tracking things on my fitness pal because Jack and I both had a look before and it seems that whatever you put your carbohydrate goal in as, it says that your maximum sugar intake for the day is around 30% of that, which is kind of crazy. Because uh, like for mine, if I put in 300 grams of carbs for the day, it says my goal for sugar is 100 grams for the day, which is just a totally random number to me. But yeah, I would just focus on the bigger picture and where's your food actually coming from. And MyFitnessPal isn't going to be able to detect whether or not your sugar came from a banana or whether it came from a Coke or Diet Coke in Jack's case. <laughs> mm. So moving on to the final aspect about fruit, which is should you eat any fruit and veg on show day? And this is a good question. And it's again, it's very individual. So I think Tara and I both used fruit and vegetables on show day. Uh, not before show day. We had, we had vegetables post-show, but we didn't, I didn't eat any vegetables pre-show. Well, potatoes are vegetables. Oh, of course. Jack ate hella potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's just going to depend on what you're accustomed to. Like, if you've been eating potatoes throughout your whole prep and you haven't been eating any sugary cereals, then I would never recommend having sugary cereals on your carb up or on show day. I would have something you're used to, like potatoes or sweet potato. What would you say, though? I think they might be referring to, like, non-starchy veg, so things like broccoli and asparagus mm. and spinach and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend anything that will fill your stomach up too much. Even potatoes for some people will be too... Like, say if you need to get in, like, four to 500 grams of carbs in your... Not your show day, but, like, the day before, then... For some people, eating potatoes will be not possible because it'll be too filling. 
Yeah, exactly. It's really going to come down to the volume of that food, but it's going to be so individual. And for example, if you had oatmeal on the morning of your show day for some carbs, and then you put a banana on top of that, that's perfectly fine, dude. Like, and if, again, don't worry about the sucrose because it's one glucose and one fructose molecule. And you see, it's notorious for people to be having honey backstage on like everything. So, and honey has sucrose in it too. But Jack and I want to make a good point about the carb up for a show in that the carb up shouldn't be happening on the day of your show because what we know from glycogen storage literature is that it usually takes up to like 48 hours to actually fully restore and synthesize glycogen. So you actually want to be carbing up on like the two days before your show and then really on the day of your show, like that's really just so that you have some carbohydrates to top up blood glucose levels and also just so you have a few more for energy and also just to get a great pump. But the carbohydrates that are actually stored as glycogen in your muscles, that happens on the days prior to show day. Mm, and some videos that I've seen on YouTube back in the day, like I remember the like the fitness influencers saying, yeah, I'm just going to get a burger on show day and stuff like that. And it's just like the worst idea. Like <laughs> even what you said before, you know, like people go through a 25 week prep eating like brown rice and potatoes and wheat bix and oats. And then the two days before their show, they'll start eating like cocoa pops and ice cream and like hella honey and all this stuff. And like they're eating these foods that they are not used to at all. And yes, they have carbohydrate value, but I just think you're asking for like serious digestion problems mm. there. Yeah, I think I will drop a name here. I was watching Christian Guzman's show day vlog and I, I did follow along like for some of his videos and like he was eating pretty well during his comp prep, like he was getting veggies in and stuff like that. And traditionally, I because I used to follow him from ages ago when I first started gym and like he was notoriously bad at getting in fruits and veg and like his comp rep was pretty good but then and he got absolutely shredded like if you look at any of his videos he was like peeled even his lower body as well and then you see on show day like the show the um stage photos that he posted and he was like nowhere near any how, nowhere near as lean as what he looked like on the videos and I think some of that will come down to just like lighting and stuff but on show day he literally ate like like so much sodium like so a certain amount of sodium is good but not an excessive amount especially when you're restricting water a lot as well and he just had a heap of fat and protein and some carbs that he wasn't used to as well yeah, I just, ah, oh, I would never risk it. You know, you go through so goddamn much training for years and then dieting for freaking weeks. Like, don't mess it up on the day that you have been working towards. It's just not worth it, you know? Like, have everything in your control. Mm, definitely. Yeah. So, I guess, but to answer that question, yes, you can eat. I'd certainly recommend some fruit on show day if you're used to it probably wouldn't recommend starchy vegetables just because they're not going to add to carbs much and might you just non-starchy veg not non-starchy veg and just give you like i don't know just a bit of a full tummy kind of thing uh but yeah don't don't fear fruit don't fear it but i wouldn't recommend getting all of your carbs from fruit because again that would be very very voluminous too so the next question is from hannah who asks thoughts on stephanie buttermore's all in hmm 
So what do you think? Have you watched any of her videos? Yeah, so I have. I'll try and give a quick summary and then you can uh, fill any, everyone else in. Well, I haven't really watched any of her videos, to be honest. Oh, well. <laughs> I guess I'll be doing the talking then. <laughs> so essentially what Stephanie's done, and I hope I give justice to her, but essentially for a very long period of time, she was suffering from like extreme hunger all the time, like lethargy, all the sort of traditional dieting fatigue symptoms. And... I think the major one for her was just feeling like lethargy and appetite. She was always, always hungry. And so what she basically decided to do was the all-in approach, which was basically eating to satiation every single day. And whether that be 5,000 calories, 6,000, 7,000, 10,000. And the thing is, she won't, she'll be eating some sort of not healthy foods, but the majority of it will be like fruits, vegetables, whole grains, all the recommended foods that are that are healthy in quotation marks, but essentially she's been doing that for a while now. She has gained quite a lot of weight. I don't know the exact amount. I, I follow her on Instagram. I think it's around like, it's over 30 pounds now or 37 mm. pounds. So it's around 15 kilograms or so, but yeah. she's, she's been in it two months, three months, mm. something like that. So yeah, that's the general basis of it. Just basically eating to satiety and trying to resolve those symptoms and we don't really know or she doesn't really know the there's not a huge amount of scientific evidence for it and i think a lot of it might be hormonal from over dieting for many years on end because she she i think she admitted herself that she wasn't always she didn't always have those symptoms and yeah so what do we think about it Personally, I think that any like people can do whatever they want with their body and health should always come first. And I think it's incredibly courageous of her and especially in the spotlight because Stephanie Buttermore is a social media influencer and she's beautiful and she was always known for being a very petite, very fit girl, you know, and always posting pictures in her bikini and her sports clothes and stuff like that. And I can imagine that for girls who are in that type of spotlight and have such a huge following, the pressure to always look good and always to look lean and Oh, it would just, it would be so damn hard, especially when you know that you are really, really struggling on the inside and your, like your health probably isn't in the best state, even though, you know, you look great, you might not feel great. So I think it's incredibly courageous of her to be going through this. And I think that anyone should be allowed to do whatever the heck they want with their body. And I'm so glad that she what is. What about the scientific basis for it though? I think that she is working with quite a few endocrinologists who specialize in women who have lost their menstrual cycle, especially be just from years of chronic dieting and their hormones aren't in a healthy place. And these endocrinologists are huge advocates for women putting on weight, usually at a quite quite drastically, you know, they eat like they put on weight quite quickly. And some of these women are even... Uh, it's even suggested that they don't even do much exercise so that their energy output isn't that high just to try to restore those hormones. I'm really, it's outside my scope. I really don't know much about it, to be honest. I, well, I think personally, if I was to do it, I would take a more gradual approach. I, I wouldn't gain that much weight that quickly, you know, but each to their own. 
And I think that, you know, it's great to see that Stephanie is feeling a lot better. And like from what I, I don't follow her, like I don't watch her YouTube videos necessarily, but I see her Instagram posts come up once in a while and she's giving updates and stuff like that. And from what I've heard, you know, it's, it has been a struggle for her, but she is feeling better now because she used to constantly just be so goddamn hungry and so food focused. But now because she has gained weight, probably, you know, her ghrelin has gone down and her leptin has gone up and they've probably both balanced out to more healthy levels. So she's just feeling better. Yeah. And I think Tiara and I can both speak anecdotally in the sense that we both felt the symptoms that Uh, Stephanie's also been feeling and especially for myself I think back in 2015 uh, and Tiara around that period again we went through some disordered eating and for for example I was trying to maintain like a unrealistically low level level of body fat and train at the same time and I was wondering why I wasn't gaining any muscle and yeah essentially I was yeah hungry all the time And that was probably the major symptom. I just felt like I could consume everything all at once. And essentially that period resolved for me just once I started dedicating more time to putting on weight and not trying to maintain a lean physique all of the time. Yeah, certainly. It can just be so goddamn hard to try to progress when, you know, you are restricting your food intake and you're also just always so hyper focused on food and you're always hungry and you feel like you could eat the world but at the same time you have they're not unrealistic but in that certain circumstance your physique goals are unrealistic because you're not fueling yourself properly and especially in resistance training we know you need to eat more food in order to build some more muscle and you need to gain a bit of weight and yes definitely like I felt those feelings for sure when I was down at like, you know, a stupid weight of like 51, 52 kilograms. But even when Jack and I first met each other, I was like 57 kilograms and I was so food focused, man. I was crazy food focused and ah, just gaining weight since then. I feel so much better, but I can certainly probably say on behalf of us that I think that we've probably done a good job at doing it progressively, you know, like I increased my body weight in the last three years. I've, you know, gone up and down a little bit, but it's pretty much gone from 57 kilograms all the way up to like 71. And now I'm back down at around 66, 67. So, you know, increasing my body weight certainly has reduced those feelings of constant food focus and just wacky hormonal levels and you'd probably be the exact same jack like you've increased your body weight what like 15 kilograms yeah and it's very normal as your body fat gets lower to experience increased hunger due to those hunger hormones and yeah when i because i when tiara and i no this was before tiara and i met i was around like 74 75 and then three three years later i competed at 70 five so yeah but you look like a completely different person right (laughs) yeah but interestingly enough you feel around the i felt about the same like in terms of the hunger but definitely increasing body fat it was the number one thing for if you are a lean person and you are experiencing incredible amounts of hunger then usually one of the best avenues is to slowly increase your body fat yeah you just there's no way around it so 
I guess in short that we do support, you know, Stephanie Buttermore's approach to this. And we certainly do agree that you do need to gain some weight in order to resolve these issues, but we're probably more advocates of doing it in a more gradual manner so that you're predominantly putting on muscle mass while still putting on a little bit of body fat and probably over the space of maybe a few years rather than a few weeks or a few months. That's, yeah. Yeah. So moving on to the next question, which is from Jordan. He asks, what's your favorite memory from Comprep? Wow. What a question. Should I, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? No, you can go first. Oh gosh. Uh, so there's a lot of things that I remember from Comp Prep and this might sound a little bit silly, but honestly, <laughs> I'm not kidding. My favorite memory was honestly seeing Jack on stage for the first time. I will just, I will never forget it because, you know, like being in there in the crowd and I was sitting next to his coach, Alan, and his parents were right in front of me. And, you know, they call Jack Radford Smith, um, bodybuilding first timers or something like that. And Jack comes out on stage for the very first time and just seeing him smiling and glowing and ah, oh, under the lights, I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. I was so proud. I was so happy. And I just... Oh, frick. And everyone around him was so happy and so proud. And yeah, I, I will never forget that. That's probably the most distinct memory. Just damn, I felt so happy for you. So Thanks. I, that's not meant to be cheesy. That's that's honestly true. I, I will just I will never, ever forget that. So my favorite experience was seeing Tierra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You have to be honest. <laughs> well, to be honest, probably my probably in the top two was seeing you compete and being on stage and just experiencing the whole journey with someone else. And even from, because yeah, that was a difficult part of, I guess, our lives, doing our masters whilst competing at the same time. We didn't even get to see each other uh, as much as we do now. Yeah, it was really tough because even though we were doing the same degree and we had the same job and we were doing the same prep and stuff like that, like it was, we were still in very different places because we were on, at different placement sites. We had different shifts for our times. And mm. yeah, and plus prep, we were just so freaking hyper-focused. But yeah, just so I don't say the same thing as Tierra, probably my best experience was doing well at both of my shows. And I guess my parents finally understanding what bodybuilding is about and why I do it and what I spend all this time dieting and training doing. And the actual results that uh, uh, showcase, like I remember, because everyone knows that when you go through a prep, especially as you're a natty, like you just look very small at times. You look pretty skinny without a pump. And like, I remember, I think it was the second peak week that I did. Like I was, I think I was just making meal prepping as per usual. And I had my tan on and I think I had like a slight pump from something. And I was, and then... Like I did some posing for my parents and they're like, wow, like this is, this is actually very different to what you look like normally. And, and then going on to winning a lot of my categories as well, like they finally, finally clicked with them what this lifestyle is about. And I'm very grateful for that because they, before they didn't really understand. And I'm sure many of the listeners can emphasize that their parents or their friends and family might not really fully understand what this lifestyle is about. 
Yeah, because, you know, for years we had been having family dinners together and, you know, Jack's family would sit down and eat, oh, I don't want to use the word normal, but I'd just say like a normal meal. And then Jack and I would sit down with our like weighed food. Like I'd have a little, like little bowl of cottage cheese and a salad with everything that I'd weigh and even like a bowl of oats at dinner or something like that and what what would you normally have for dinner you've gone through a lot of phases <laughs> but like <laughs> I guess the main thing is is that you know they always saw us eating different meals and Jack and I rarely ever eat the same meal I'm hopefully you guys can understand that Jack's caloric intake and like is much much higher than mine so we eat very different foods we always eat together but we always eat different meals and I can completely understand for someone who isn't involved in bodybuilding especially parents seeing like a couple eat different meals and weigh all their food on a scale they're kind of like uh this is a little bit strange <laughs> but yeah it that was so good for them to finally understand and my parents to finally understand when they were there too and hopefully understand that we're not the only people on the planet that do this. Like there were a hell of a lot of people at that show and everyone would have been doing the exact same thing. Mm. So I think we have time for one more question before we wrap up. And this one asks, when do you drop macros at a store? What's your protocol? For example, 20 carb after that five fat. And then another question that links to this, which will answer is when cutting, do you refeed before dropping macros at a store? That's a really, really good question. And I'm sure that it's something that a lot of people run into because, you know, you set your certain macros and then you hit a plateau and you don't know how much to decrease them by. But just like everything, it is going to be highly individual and it's going to really, really depend on the client. So, for example, if someone is on much higher calories and they have a much higher body weight, then I would be more inclined to do a larger macro cut. So for example, I like be probably more inclined to do something like a 50 gram carb macro cut if someone was on like 400 grams of carbs. But if someone's only on 150 grams of carbs, then you'd probably only do like a 20 or a 30 gram macro cut. Yeah, I completely agree. And for me, it'll pretty much mostly come down to the amount of calories that you're consuming per day. Because like, as Tierra said, if you're on 100 carb, then you can't exactly drop 50 carb in one go. And for example, like if it's a male who is consuming like say 600 carb a day, then they can easily afford to do a 50 carb drop. Probably won't even notice. (laughs) Yeah. And in terms of refeeding before dropping macros, if you're stalled in body weight, Uh, personally, we don't really do that and we don't think it's necessary either. Yeah, I guess there might be, it could depend, you know, like perhaps like if you were in a comp prep and you had planned to have a diet break or a few days of a refeed, maybe if that's part of your plan, but yeah, we, we actually haven't done that. You know, usually if someone has stalled in body weight, then you either do one or the other. Perhaps you might try, okay, hey, let's try giving you a diet break. But there's usually other signs that they require a diet break other than just a body weight stall. Or you just try to go ahead and just slightly drop their drop their macros because those are now just their maintenance level. Mm. There's no evidence, firm evidence yet that diet breaks will physiologically make you lose more weight in terms of like hormones and all that sort of stuff. It might in the sense that you might reduce stress, you might increase your output a little bit. 
uh, things like that, but you won't be able to, like say if you have a refeed on 100 extra carb, you're not going to be able to suddenly lose weight on more carb than you were on before. Yeah, there's like research is in the making, you know, especially from Jackson Pios. He's coming out with a few studies as part of his PhD in the coming months and probably in the coming years as well. But yeah, it's uh, just like Jack said, it's so acute, like doing something for one day or even three days, it's not going to be night or day. It's not going to make a huge difference. It's really just going to be stress energy output. But it's not like your leptin is going to spike through the roof and like your thyroid hormone is going to spike through the roof and your testosterone is going to spike through the roof. Nothing magical like that, unfortunately. I would also say that a macro cut would highly depend on how accurately you're hitting your macros in the first place too. So for example, if you have a client who is hitting their macros like spot on, like plus or minus one or two grams from their targets, and they're calculating very, very accurately, then you can be pretty confident in doing a slightly smaller macro cut. So let's say going more towards that 20 or 25 grams of carbs macro cut. But if they weren't exactly hitting their macros accurately in the first place, let's say they were like plus or minus 10 grams every single day for each macro, first you'd address that is the issue. So they start eating the right amount of energy. And also I would be more inclined to do a larger macro cut if they were having like a large deviation from their target levels too. But in terms of which macro to cut, like at the beginning of a cut, usually fat is a bit higher, probably more upwards towards that one gram per kilogram of body weight mark. And in order to keep dropping calories, I would be more inclined to drop someone's fats lower before I start dropping carbohydrates. Always pretty much keep protein static. I'd never really touch someone's protein targets. But yeah, bringing that fat down, maybe down to like 0.6 grams per kilogram or like for a girl, maybe down to 40 grams per day, unless they're like very, very deep into a comp prep. Those final few weeks, you might bring them down closer to 30 grams per day. But usually I have a minimum threshold for fats that I want to bring down before I start dropping down carbs. What about you? Yeah, I do something very similar and the benefit with males usually is that they do have more carbohydrates to play with and it yeah, it'll really just depend on the individual and what their preferences are and but typically it is better to if for a physique athlete to prioritize carbohydrates and go to the moderate slash minimum amount of fat you can you can get away with. Yeah, and it's going to be so individual on the client too, especially if someone's following like a plant-based diet. I've got quite a few girls who follow vegan and vegetarian diets and they eat a lot of tofu for their protein and tofu actually has quite a bit of fat in it. So sometimes their fat intake has to be a little bit higher and in order you know, to put them in a calorie deficit, we have to drop carbohydrates lower. So it's going to be so client-specific. But yeah, I would say what would be like the minimum number of calories you would drop for a calorie cut. Mm. If we're looking at per day or per week? Per day. Probably 100 calories. Yeah, I would say the exact same. I'd say anything probably under under 100 calories. Uh, maybe, the inaccuracy maybe is 80. too high. Yeah, yeah. It depends. You know, if someone is, again, eating a lot of food, then yeah, definitely 100. Because you have to think about the uh, change to neat as well. Like if... If it's anything less than 100, the change in NEAT might make up for it. 
straight yeah, away. Exactly. We certainly wouldn't advocate for you dropping like five or like five grams of carbs. That'd be like 20 calories. That would just, you wouldn't notice a difference. <laughs> so yeah, make it, make it actually significant so that you can see some change. All right. So yeah, we are coming up on almost an hour now. So I think that'll be our last question for today. But we'll finish on one thing that we learned this week. So, Jack. Yeah, you're out. What, me? (laughs) I went first last time. I forget. Okay. Okay. So, one thing that I learned this week. uh, I don't really know if I learned this, but it's kind of just an observation. I don't know if things are really expensive in Australia or really cheap in other countries. But Jack and I went out for coffee and tea yesterday with some friends and we both got some we both bought two teas and two green teas little pots of green tea cost me ten dollars and the friends that we went out for coffee with are just about to go to the philippines and they're going to be snorkeling with whale sharks for ten dollars so (laughs) how the heck do two like two cups of green tea equate to snorkeling with whale sharks just just depending on the country you're in that baffles me good green tea either yeah, Jack. <laughs> Jack was like, "This is bitter as shit." <laughs> Maybe you're just not used to drinking green tea. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, oh man, I I don't know. So I, which would you say? I. I think it's probably both. I think both are a bit obscure. Things are maybe a little bit expensive here, and things are just super cheap in other countries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think mainly if yeah, it's overpriced here. I would say. Yeah. Oh man, I should have just brought my own hot water in a bag, like a green tea bag. But <laughs> they gotta make a profit, eh? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay, what did you learn? So I finally found potassium salt at my local Woolies, and yeah, I've been looking for it there for a while. Essentially, it's basically low salt, which means it's uh, reduced sodium, but also they add potassium at, to it as well for the flavor, and. Yeah, if any of many of you might know that I regularly use salt shots prior to my workouts for a pump because I don't add salt to my food and I'm keen to try the mixture of potassium and sodium and see if that makes a difference because potassium's also incredibly important for the pump and muscular contraction. The sodium glucose potassium transporter or mm. is it just the sodium sodium potassium pump? Sodium potassium pump. Yes. Biochemistry 101. (laughs) Okay, cool. So that is the end of our 40th podcast episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in again. If you enjoyed it, please take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag myself, tag Jack, tag the bodybuilding dietitians. We've got a really exciting interview coming up for you on our next episode. So stay tuned for that. And yeah, we hope you have a great week. See you guys. Bye.